0: say it loud network presents corner table talk welcome to corner table talk and today i'm so honored and thrilled to have a chance to talk with my dear friend valerie simpson hey val
1: hey brad it's been a while so it's good to talk to you
0: well, for those of you that that don't know who Valerie is, she is just the incredible singer, songwriter, musician, artist, just incredible person all around, just lovely, lovely lady written. I, I hate to use this because it's just so cliche, but you truly have written the soundtrack to our lives. And I just... I love the songs. I listen to your songs every day and uh, have my favorites, which I I won't get into just yet. But many awards, you and Nick Motown, Diana Ross, Marvin Gaye, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Reach Out and Touch. Just it goes on and on. So, Val, thank you for for joining me. But what I'm going to do to start, I have what I call short order questions. Short order is kind of restaurant terminology. So I'm going to fire just a couple of quick ones at you and get you get your off the cuff response. Ready for that? I'm ready. Your favorite meal?
1: My favorite meal. Well, I'm a chicken and fish person, so I kind of uh, stick with those two things. And and usually I'm trying to watch my weight, so I'm trying to not do what I really like, which is like a chicken and waffles. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) But that's something I love, you know. But special occasions, I think you should treat yourself. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, because oh, that's okay. what I really love.
0: No, chicken and waffles.
1: Chicken and waffles. Give all it right. to me.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Um, what's your favorite dish at the Sugar Bar?
1: Uh, we have a seafood linguine, uh, which I like a lot. You know, it's a linguine and a light sauce with salmon and, and, and all kinds of shrimp and, and, and just lots of good seafood. Whatever is, is mm. fresh and flavorful for the week.
2: Mm.
0: Uh,
1: so, uh, you know, you can order that and it's a good portion, you know, so you can Mm. have it for two days.
0: Nice. I was online looking at some of the food pictures and the food looks fantastic there. So those of you that don't know, Val owns the Sugar Bar on 72nd Street between Broadway and West End, is it? Yeah. Uh, okay. What is your favorite celebratory beverage?
1: Uh, I would say I... There's a couple, but you know, just to celebrate, generally you pull out a nice glass of champagne. You might put a little something in it, you know, a puree or a little orange juice, and I'll make it a mosa, or whatever. But uh, so that's the base for midi drinks. Uh, a good, you know, champagne.
0: Yes, I can see that. Thank you.
1: And um, we always celebrating. We always. You know,
0: yes, I can picture hey. you with a glass toasting oh, something right. or other. <laughs> Indeed. So throwing you back here. The first time that you heard Nick Ashford sing, what went through your head?
1: Well, I heard him at church. He came to my church. And he had a very different sound uh, because he had a great range. He could sing from low to very high. And he was very strong in his upper register. So that, that was interesting to hear. And and even as we you know worked together later on, I found that that was the hardest thing for me to do was to like hold a note as long as Nick because he had great staying lungs and uh, he could really he could hold a note forever. So I I I'm about to pass out and he's still holding <laughs> on. You know.
0: <laughs> well, you know that's funny. You mentioned his his great lungs. Nick and I used to run past each other in Central Park. I would run around the reservoir and Nick ran around the horse track, which was around the reservoir. And I tell you, Val, I mean Nick was a handsome guy, but he had a beautiful stride. Well, I know, I know.
1: And he knew somebody was looking at him, so he was (laughs) really showing off.
0: (laughs) You mean he didn't just run like that? Just to be running like that. He was showing off
1: all the time.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good to know. All right. This is gonna challenge you, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay. Whitney or Chakas I'm every woman.
1: You can't get me with that one. You know, I'll take either one, you know, or I'll start with one and go to the other. Maybe I'll start with Whitney because she, you know, her version had that intro, the slow intro, but then I got to jump to Shaka as well. You know, I mean, it was just like too good a cake, you know, to complain about the icing. It's just ridiculous. Mm. It was just a blessing, you know, to have both those ladies. And, uh, somebody sent me that, that video of, uh, of Whitney the other day, which I had forgotten about, you know, that uh, that I'm in as well. And it just brought back so many great memories. And it's it's interesting because Whitney included Chaka by mentioning her at the end. It just uh, revived it for Shaka. It was like Chaka was having the hit for the second time with Whitney. I love that. You know, that's mm. real sisterhood.
0: Mm. And, you know, Val, I, I mean, I, I always felt this way being around you and Nick You know, in so many industries, and I'm not suggesting that in yours, it's any different where competition sometimes dictates relationships and or the lack thereof, but it always felt inclusive around you two, you know, the the circle of friends that you had, Mm. some of whom were, you know, Roberta Flack and other people that I remember, but it never felt like there was competition. It just felt like there was love and friendship and embracing. And you're writing these great songs and different people are singing them. Was it did you ever feel any envy or you don't you just don't seem like that kind of person
1: well you know we started out as writers and as a writer you wear a different hat you're looking for somebody to enhance what you have you're offering and so I was such an admirer of great voices and then when we became producers we got a chance to hear them up close and personal and give instruction and tell them what we wanted them to do and how to make it better. So I was always in support of making the product better, which so it was no jealousy involved in it. And I never thought, neither one of us, to be honest, which you thought of ourselves as, as singers, that came later. So that was the secondary thing, you know. We were just happy to, you know, to get a record deal when
2: the time came.
0: <laughs> well, this is a restaurant hospitality culture podcast, but it's not possible to talk to Valerie Simpson without talking a little bit of music. And you mentioned Whitney. I'm gonna, you know, want to talk about her uh, just a just a little bit later. But I want to I want to go back with you a little bit and ask you about your childhood. Now, you were you were born in the Bronx, New York, right? Just tell describe the the household a little bit, the Simpson household, what that was like, what you guys ate. Did your mom cook? What what, what was the food experience in the Simpson household like?
1: The Simpson household. My mother was not the greatest cook. My grandmother was a great cook. And uh, so uh, And she's West Indian. So, uh, you know, a lot of beans, a lot of rice, like that. And so food wasn't, the music thing came from the fact that my grandmother had a a piano in the house. And nobody, I don't know why, nobody could play it. So I just sat down and I was able to play it. So that became the music in the house. And my grandmother was a minister. So I got to practice at her church. As I say, she used to make something, though, that was... uh, like a West Indian bun, you know, with a little raisin in it and, and flour sugar on the top of it, which was delicious. But it's like, I don't know what happened to the recipe because, you know, it was weird. Nobody gave those recipes out. So consequently, when they passed away, the recipes left too. And I, I you know, and my aunt, who was a better cook than my mother, she used to make a and carrot cake. Same thing. She did not pass that recipe down. She took pride in it and she made us wait until she made it. And when she left, the carrot cake left.
0: That was, it was gone. Oh. That's interesting. I, I love carrot cake. That's, that's one of my favorites. You know, you, you mentioned the piano and, and, uh, you're discovering it very early on. I've also seen where you have talked about, um, these days when you, I know you have a piano at home, but when you pass a piano, you, you have a hard time walking by one without sitting there and just hitting a few bars sitting in front of it now. Hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. So let's, I want to just dig in a little bit more to, um, you know, to growing up New York. So you come from the Bronx to Manhattan. Did you, did you move at one point from the Bronx to to the city or did you continue to live in the Bronx?
1: I stayed in the Bronx uh, and I used to go to church in Harlem. And that's how I met Nick in Harlem and my grandmother's church was in Harlem. So before I even met Nick, you know, I was playing piano at her church, but m- all my experiences uh, were really in Harlem musically. And uh, cause there was a lot of, you know, gospel going on. And I was deep into that.
0: And so I know this, this story, I've heard this before. I've, I've listened to interviews with you talk about this before, but you know, Nick Ashford, who, who we lost, I mean, I. Don't even know, you know, Val, how you process something like that when you lose someone who's been so instrumental in your life as as Nick has. And uh, but you guys, you, you developed a a friendship before you had a romantic yeah. relationship. Is that right?
1: Eight years. You know, it's funny. uh in the very beginning, when he first saw me, he said he was interested. But I was still, I was in my last year of high school. And so we didn't really, he didn't really take it seriously because he had things to do, people to meet, and places to go. So <laughs> I was like at the bottom of his <laughs> thought process.
0: <laughs> I doubt and, that, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> and I was
1: uh, just really, you know, kind of young and not, you know, knowing what was going to happen in my life. It just so happened that we had a musical connection. So once you tell me you're not interested in me, you know, because I'm too young, then, you know, I just closed my mind and went on about my business. And, but I'm so glad I did because otherwise we wouldn't have had experiences to bring to a relationship. I'm in high school. I need to meet some people and do some things and you know, try to be cute for somebody. So that's what I did. And then he went on and did his thing. And then 8 it took eight years, mm. you know, for us to look at each other and see that this was really it. This was the real thing, I, you know, and um, I'm glad it didn't happen before. I'm glad, you know, because he was really knowing me as a person. I was knowing him. We were liking each other as just as people. And uh, there was no pretense. You know, I was trying to pretend I was this and that and the other thing for somebody. But I wasn't. But he knew who I really was. And that's why probably why our marriage lasted.
0: And so how do you experience Nick these days? I, I would imagine having been so close to someone for so long, just because their their body is no longer present. All the spirit, all the, the love and all of that has got to still be resonating around you. Do you do you? Have conscious moments of experiencing Nick that way? Oh,
1: absolutely. It's like he's still the thread that goes through everything, that weaves through things. The fact that the music brings back all the memories. When I see the videos and stuff, it's like, you know, he's still here almost to me. And it's like a a knowing in the back of your brain somewhere that'll come through. You know, now that I'm writing songs by myself for the first time. It's like I'm still writing with him because there's a, a wisdom that he had that I adhere to now. I, I fought it when he was alive, you know, because he would he would keep going. He would keep going. He was never satisfied. I was quickly satisfied. But now I force myself to take my time. And so I picked up the good points, you know, that he had. and uh, And I use them now, whereas I fought them before. <laughs>
0: Do you do you find that you know as as couples do just normal couples not superstar folk songwriters but do you find yourself able to kind of imagine what he would have written or a lyric that he might have said like people like married couples finish each other's sentences does that yeah, happen yeah. now
1: in some instances yes but you know the hardest thing was just me uh, picking up the pen to write a lyric because he was such a great lyricist as you can you know hear from some of the lyrics of our songs that. I felt like that that area was covered, so I didn't need to stretch my brain that way. But now I realize I probably could have been a bigger help to him if I had used that element from myself and added in. I think the closest, you know, in I mean, there were a couple songs that I, you know, I felt instinctively and, and told him or had a verse for. But, you know, like when we wrote I'm Every Woman, he was like kind of dumbfounded because he was like, well, you know, That's the title. Because I said. And he said, I'm every woman. I said, yeah, yeah, that's it. Now write the rest of it. He said, but I'm not every woman. He says, I don't know what to say. I said, put your hand on your hip and dig down into that other side of you. There's a sensitive side of you. You can imagine this, you know. And he did. And he came back a couple of times and we fuss over a lyric or a line, you know. So, I mean, uh, I got a chance to interact that way with him over lyric. But personally, I was lazy all those years. I was so lazy. He was so good. I didn't have to do it. And now I find I can do it. And I feel almost ashamed that I didn't delve a little deeper while he was here, you know, because I'm writing lyric now.
0: It's interesting. I, I don't think anybody that en- enjoys your presence or your music would ever think of you as a as a lazy person. But I, I understand what you mean that where his his talent was It's
1: a muscle was, I didn't use. It's you know, right. it was it was mm-hmm. something I had that, you know, mm-hmm. I just, you know, gave it to him to do.
0: You know, um I'll come back to something, but I wanted to you know, you had come to visit me um several years ago in, in LA. And you came, I opened a restaurant called Post and Beam in South LA. And, and for those of you who don't know Val, Val's a pretty fancy chick, man. She dresses, she can wear some fly stuff. And, but she, she got in the car, her and Miss T and, and came and visited me in South LA. And I was so proud. One, because I really wanted her to see the restaurant, but two, I had created this uh, wall of album art. And I had taken a bunch of my old albums and laid them out and took a photograph and laid a blue film over them and created this 4x12 beautiful print of all these various album covers. And I had, of course, I had to put Nick and Val's album up there, but Val was so funny. So one of my favorite songs is It'll Come, right? And so the album I put up there was Come As You Are. And you no, said, no, that, oh, you that had to put that raggedy, ass, <laughs> that raggedy cover because you didn't like the way y'all were dressed. But it was right. your cover. We and looked we had like orphans. You remember that?
1: I remember. I hated that cover after it came out. I thought we looked like orphans. I really did. You know, it was like, I don't know, that's that's beyond dressing down.
0: Whose idea was the album cover?
1: I don't know. We was trying to do something different. You know how you do. But, you, yeah. know. But, you know, it had some good songs in it.
0: Beautiful, beautiful songs. It'll come is just one of my all time favorites. You know, I would ride Me
1: too. It's up, you know, it, yeah. it it helps when you when you stressing out and wondering.
0: <laughs> like these days, maybe? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, I would put that song on, Val, and, and take a drive up the Pacific Coast Highway in Los Angeles and just Oh, man, it just it, it would do the trick every time.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, it wasn't the most popular song. So you never know, you know, if a song is serving its purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what that song was supposed to do. You know, just give you hope, you know, h- hang in there, stretch out,
2: stretch knowing out, knowing that you, you
0: can't. Oh, come on. Keep so, on you know, I all. yeah, yes. So I mentioned uh, Miss T, uh, yeah. and you know I'm going to touch on a couple of folks here. That, of course, Nick, we lost Miss T. You lost not too, not too long not ago. Not too long ago. I mean, I I, I can't that imagine. Was she was a like shocker. a sister to you.
1: That was a shocker. You know, um, during this whole COVID period, uh, you know, my office was closed down. Of course, most of the time the restaurant was closed down because the mayor is very finicky about you know restaurants. He gives us fever, but rightfully so you know you've got to be careful and uh, she was staying at home you know and she was so careful that uh it just didn't seem like anything could go wrong and for her to just pass away under normal circumstances not the covid not getting sick and there's more of that going on now I'm sure if you if you listen around to friends of friends of friends you'll hear more people are just just passing away just transitioning with no no illness you know we used to think people had to get ill you don't have to get ill you can go to bed and, and not wake up you know and that's happening a lot and that's what happened to her and mm-hmm. so we weren't ready you mm-hmm. know uh and uh it's still something that I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it really is because she meant she was such a pillar to us. You know, she was everything. I mean, Miss Teague, Miss Teague, I don't care when where we went. If we was at the back of the line, she could find a way to put us at the front of the line. You know, she was one of those kind of people and uh, I miss her so much. Uh,
0: I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, my memories of her are just incredible. For those of you who hear us talking about this lovely lady, T. Olson, she, was like a sister to both Nick and Val. I mean, she was everywhere they were. She was the advance on anything they needed to do, any organizing, trips, tours... Everybody went through Miss T, and it was the old days. And she would write notes and make phone calls, and you know, there were no text messages, you know, from from Miss she, T. She'd
1: collect the money on the gig, you know, put it in a breast, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great style. She was a great dresser. Oh, yeah. yeah, do something. She was something. so another, and I and I think of her when I think of you, and another friend that we lost many years ago. But and I think of Nick when I think of him, Finny.
1: Oh my goodness! My goodness! My gosh! Finny, uh, Finney, you know what Quincy Jones called Finney? He called him Ashford and Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> <Come on. laughs> he was just this, you know, this very perfect person who... Quietly did everything. He could do your makeup. He could do your hair. He could make sure your garment was right. He did everything. And he was the best. He just was. And then he was your personal friend. And you never got a story out of Finney about nobody. I met Miles Davis at Finney's house.
0: Finney used to cut my hair Mm -hmm. and he dressed like Nick. Uh, He had mannerisms like Nick.
1: Yeah.
2: But he was yeah.
0: also his own, him being the combination of both of you two. That, that's very funny. I'm not going to outdo Quincy on that it's one. It's true.
1: It's true. <laughs> and but he was
0: like the first Finney person was to just, put me in the
1: braids, too. You know, he was, you know, all those years ago.
0: Yeah. And we lost him way too, way too young. Way too was, early. Yeah. Surely. Very sad to have lost Finney. Um, well, moving along. So, Whitney... We mm. had a relationship in common there with Whitney, but I'm going to segue first to your because the 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 way that I actually came to to know Whitney was, of course, through Nick and Val. But uh, initially, you and Nick decided that you wanted to go into the restaurant business. So, no, 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 no,
1: not me okay. and Nick. That was Correct. Nick.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> put it on Nick. <laughs> that
1: was Nick going yeah. into the restaurant business. Okay, I just tagged along.
0: All right. So, you know, I know that you had um, some experience with going out. I know you two used to like to go out on the town, you and Nick, and you would occasionally venture to the Upper West Side. My dad had a great spot up there called The Cellar. um, Oh, my
1: goodness. I was telling my daughter about that place, how we used to sit up in there and, and, and watch the it was. It reminded me very much of the sugar bar in the sense that, you know, you had great entertainment, wonderful food great atmosphere and you know our folks were up in there you know doing it you know it was it was just a, a hot spot really
0: mm-hmm. yeah i used to love to see and you it didn't coming. hurt
1: that you look good and your dad howard please Damn. y'all that was like <laughs> a you know a, a, forget about it y'all was you know and we would go up there and nick would say y'all go up there to, to, to stargaze not at the singers at the owners again we say yeah we're going on up <laughs>
0: Oh, now thank you. You know, it's funny. I I read recently. I was just trying to Google around to see if there was some stuff that I that I didn't know about you, and I'm sure there's plenty. But uh, I I read where you used to go down to McKell's to see Richard T. play, right? Oh, yeah. And so I was just going to share with you a little funny. So my father and Mike McKell grew up together in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, wow. And back in the late '60s, when McKell's was a place called Vic and Terry's, my dad. And Mike were supposed to go into business together and buy it and turn it into a restaurant bar so Mike then met Pat McKell and they ended up doing the deal behind my dad's back and he and Mike didn't speak at all after that despite having restaurants two blocks away from one another and having been childhood friends that didn't something? know
1: that feud was yeah. there Wow yeah.
0: Yeah, do they no. ever
1: resolve it
0: never resolved it my but dad ended up didn't, getting uh, a deal
1: Mike married Pat
0: They married yep Mike so and he Pat, could Pat kind got of married I understand
1: it was blame it on the woman you
0: know <laughs> <laughs> We write a song about stuff like she, that Yeah right
1: cuz she you know she snatched him up and then she had to become the partner with him
0: That's exactly what happened
1: He could have forgave her that
0: My father wasn't one to forgive on that one know. but the seller became available several years later, and ironically, it was all opened by an African-American gentleman in 72 or 73. My father bought it at the end of 73. And Jeff was the original owner's name. And he wanted to sell it because the clientele had become too black. Perfect. That's something. Perfect. So anyway, so. The cellar became a a great spot. The Upper West Side became a very vibrant scene. If you remember Russ Brown's, Mckells, the cellar, I mean, they had lots of places to go. We don't see too much of that anymore. But Sugar Bar is kind of holding that torch, but not a lot of that on the Upper West Side.
1: Well, yeah, in particular, uh, the food and the entertainment. That was, Mm -hmm. you know, Russ Brown's. I think uh, Phyllis used to play there a lot. Phyllis Hyman. Yeah, uh, and then yeah. you all had a, a big array, you know, with Melissa Morgan and, and Johnny Camp. Y'all used to have. I mean, yeah. these children, you know, were, were up in there on a regular basis, you know, and so you could go there and get everything you needed. You know, great entertainment, good food, like I said, and good looking owners. You could yeah, get it.
0: well, thank you, and and you know, it was see us. You know, it was a, yeah. it was a community, the you community know, aspect to yeah. it, right? That right. we really enjoyed being around one another. So I want to I want to fast forward to twenty twenty. So initially you went in business with a gentleman, Bobby Ox, and you, you right. opened up this big, beautiful place. Now, you and Nick were very and, and are, you, are, you continue to be very savvy real estate folks. But here you decided to lease this cavernous, big building on 20 West 20th Street and dump quite a bit of money into... A rental situation. Now, I can't imagine that could have been too comfortable to you knowing that you were paying rent and renovating somebody's building. How, how, did, how did that happen and how did you feel about the venture it, when you How
1: it started? happened was a big mistake, as you well know. Uh, you see, initially we were not supposed to be involved to that extent. We were the celebrity element ownership. So we were approached by Bobby Ox, to put up a small amount of money and Nick said, "Let's do this." I'm like, mm, "But it, you know, it was like in the five-figure range and, and small." And so we said, "Okay," because it was—it looked like it was going to be a nice place. That's how we got involved. But then he ran out of money, and then Nick wanted to step up and become the main thrust of the thing, which is where we got into trouble because it was already in place. The, the rent was set. Everything was done. And now we just need some money. So then suddenly Nick is liking it very much. And so we come in as the deep pocket. So that's how we got caught into that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so the the first year you opened, I think it was '86, right, summer of '86,
1: somewhere like that, yeah, '86. Right.
0: Um, things didn't go exactly as planned. Just aside from the fact that that the original owner Bobby didn't didn't he ran out of funds, but as far as the operations were concerned, didn't quite live up to what what. Oh, absolutely you not.
1: I mean, you know, as you well know, it's a cash business, and if you're not uh, you know watching it and we weren't the kind of people who were going to be there every night and check and da, da 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 well let me see the receipts and da da and once you know we didn't do that and mm-hmm. uh because Bobby ox had other restaurants we thought we thought he was trustworthy you know so we left that in his hands mm-hmm. and uh like you said it was a big project and you know you needed like 220 people every night. So that is no small matter to pull off. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ran into a lot of trouble. So we needed a lot of help.
0: So you guys came into, you and Nick came into Memphis, a place that I had opened on Columbus Avenue. I remember the night and, you know, asked me if I would be interested in working with you. And I I was so thrilled. I was so honored, Val. I I couldn't wait. I had opened up a couple of restaurants with the Memphis group. And I actually, upon the opportunity to work with you, I sold my interest in those places and then came down to to 2020. And we had talked about this idea of converting it into more of a a cabaret style night, because obviously your, you know, your relationships, your, your history, Made a lot of sense, and so we we reopened. I don't know if you remember, but the first event that we had was the Hagler Leonard fight. And, I don't even uh, remember. Yeah, it was, I was a probably, sold out I was night.
1: Just mad at that point. Yeah,
0: still, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just mad. Oh, uh, but yeah, we opened with the Hagler Leonard fight and and streamed it in, and we you know we I remember that we did like thirty thousand dollars in sales, and I had never seen a number that big. I mean, Memphis was doing pretty well. But I came from the cellar where, you know, a big week for us was like $7,000 for a week. Right, right. So, you know, that, that was a big number to me. But the thrill of a lifetime was being, you know, in, in company with you and Nick. I would come over to the, to your apartment. We'd talk about the things that, that we were thinking about doing and who we wanted to book and what have you. And that was just amazing for me. And it led to some of the most memorable experiences in my life and i want to start with one of them nina simone
1: oh lord oh lord
0: (laughs) let's talk about nina
1: whoever would have thought that we could get nina simone to appear at our club wow i mean but you know the thing that bugs me the most about that whole experience that we all had together why weren't we taping videotaping those shows there's no video of those wonderful nights You know, I should have had a video camera right here in this house that I'm in, having her stay with us. Nina Simone was a trip. I love her so much. I mean, but she would wear you out, as you well know. She wore out Stevie Wonder. Remember when he came? She wore out Stevie Wonder.
0: Oh, do
1: I? I mean, eventually Nick left me here in the house and said, let me know when she's gone home. Because he couldn't take no more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me give, let said, me give the audience a little... When a she little, goes up, Because she yeah, overstayed
1: her welcome, you know. Oh. She was one of those kind of people. But I um, tell you, those... I mean, it was just the best time. But she was... You know, she would, we would pay her before the show, and she would, she insisted, even though she's staying with us, and put the money, wrap it around her, underneath her dress, like somebody was going to take the money from her. It it was just mind boggling. But, you know, I think that was the history of the kind of people that she had dealt with in the past. And she just didn't trust anybody, even though she loved us, you know, she still didn't trust it. Well, one night we said, we're going to go out from the uh, 2020, and she said, we said, well, she said, how are we going to get there? I said, well, we ordered a, a limo because there's so many of it. She said, well, who's paying for it? I was like, this woman just would not believe that we loved her that much. She had not received that kind of unselfish love in her life. And, you know, and I adored her. I just did. You know, I got some stories I can't even tell you.
0: I know. Well, I'm going yeah, to tell one. <laughs> so, well, we got the we got the confirmation that that uh, Nina was going to join us, and because of her love for for you and Nick, so but she made a specific request that she be picked up from the airport. in Nick and Val have a, a beautiful Rolls Royce, and right. she made a specific request that she be picked up in the Rolls Royce. The and Rolls I remember Royce. it was June or July, but it was hot. Vance and I head to LaGuardia Airport to pick her up. Nina comes out, it's hot, 85 degrees, in a full-length mink coat. She was ready for whatever was going to happen. In
1: July. In July. That should have let us know what was going to happen next.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. That was a preview. Yes. Uh-huh,
1: of what was to come.
0: Yeah, but, but well, those just. Those memories
1: it, that, you know, oh, gosh, are just so vivid in my mind. You know, she was sent me a text. She said, send me $30,000 immediately, Nina. That's all. <laughs> That's it. That's the kind of drama that she would bring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved her so much.
0: Yeah, loved yeah, me so too. Much. You know, she called me for many years after that yeah. from around the world. Sometimes collect.
1: Yeah. Well, you good looking? I, I'm not surprised. Oh, wow.
0: Oh. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, and then the last time that I saw her was in Marina Del Rey, and she was with a gentleman who quote was interested in her. Uh and then you know, of course, it's sad to hear her pass after that. That was yeah. that was a tragic loss. She she lived a rough life.
1: Yeah, yeah. But musically she gave so much and she was such a pioneer of civil rights. She didn't take no stuff, you know. No. And she'd speak her mind, you know. Yep. And, yep. and and we don't have that nowadays, you know.
0: Nina Simone, Ohio players, Nick and Val end up getting on the stage several times in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. We thought, you know, we might be able to resuscitate the business with uh, live performances. We changed the kitchen around, did a different menu, had a new staff come right. in, retrained everybody. But then the tax bills started coming one after another. And I remember right. the, the the mornings having to come to the apartment and ask you guys for another 15,000, another 20,000, yeah. another 10,000. Yeah. We had a series of bad things happen. I don't know if you remember, but Diane sure performed there and the, the first night she was on, um, we have what's called an Ansel system in the kitchen. And right, so I was, remember now. You remember that? There was a yes, small kitchen fire, and one of the line cooks panicked. And rather than just dousing the fire out, he pulled the cord for the Ansel system and covered the entire cooking line with white powder, and we couldn't serve dinner for that night, and we had right. sold-out shows. Um, and then we got robbed. Yeah. Do you remember that?
1: I pushed that out of my mind.
0: Okay. Well you know, I won't I won't I won't you know, stay on it too well, long, but it happened.
1: The size was daunting too. The size mm-hmm. of that restaurant was daunting mm-hmm. to me. You know, it's hard to get people out on a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday. It's hard to exist on three days, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, which is what we were trying to do, you know. And it it, it was a it was a hard venture. It really was. And like I say, you know, we Bobby Ox was in there. We weren't on the same wavelength.
0: Yeah. And in the up and down nature it was it was phenomenal to be around such incredible performances and and then the struggle of the reality of the business on Monday and Tuesday. But in the midst of all of that, you invite me to a, a birthday party at your your manager's house, Scott Sanders, who lived right, across from right. the Museum of Natural History, very high up, beautiful apartment. Yeah. And the attendees were Roberta Flack, Whitney Houston. Nick, of course, it was his birthday. Val and myself initially. So at one point, the uh, the doorbell rings, and I and I, I'm asked to go and open the door, and and I open the door, and it's and it's Miles Davis. So, uh, but at one point, you, Val, and Whitney, uh, you, Roberta, and Whitney are on the piano and singing "Happy Birthday" to Nick.
1: I remember that. I remember yeah. that.
0: That was a, mm-hmm. it. Was just a, a, a night not to be forgotten. Beautiful night. True.
1: So true. But I mean, that, well, that was that was the beginning of a blossoming romance for you too. You know, you two had something in common. You know, and and I could see there was a little spark happening there. I'm like, ah, oh, this could be interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I I was over by the window with her and looking down the street on Columbus Avenue, and I pointed out where Memphis was, and. You know, at the time we, we didn't have a sign on the outside of the, of, of the door because we'd run out of money before we opened. So we couldn't afford the elaborate sign we, we had picked out. And I asked her if she ever went out to dinner and I said, well, if you like, I'd like to take you down the street there. So yes, as, as you mentioned, we, uh, we ended up, uh, you know, spending a little time together. So 2020, we ended up. Having to having to close. And Mm -hmm. that was the first time I had gone through an experience like that, Val, where I had to, you know, let go of staff, people and and close a restaurant. It was painful for me. How how was that for you?
1: Well, you know, um, I didn't do it personally like you did it. Like during this period, you know, just having to lay off people. I found myself trying to put my arms and my dollars around the folks that are near to me at the sugar bar, because you become a family and you see them all the time and they are depending on you. And I'm more directly involved now than I was back then at 2020. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I did not feel it as uh, acutely as I feel it now. Mm-hmm. And so I, my response is different. Of course, I mean, I still had those bills. to pay. I mean, we ended up having to pay back everything that we had brought into, you know, into uh 2020, you know, the tax bills got paid, you know, but it, it, it was a, it was a trying time. You know, it was almost like, you know, you bit off something that was mountainous, you know, and you didn't even know, you know, how it was going to crumble. Hmm. So it, it was really hard. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I say, I didn't have that personal interaction with the kitchen the way I have it now, because it's right. a smaller place. So I, I we left that to you to do.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um yeah, so you you bring up the Sugar Bar and I want to I want to talk about that a little bit cuz obviously, you know, restaurants are are just hurting these days. I mean, the the last year has been catastrophic and um still struggling, you know, in LA it's sure. it's you know, open, shut down, open, shut down and and you know, bring staff back, lay them off. How have you dealt with that at at the Sugar Bar?
1: Well, what we've done is held on to my, you know, my two main kitchen people, a couple of bartenders. And what I tried to do is was, was just take care of them, really, because I figured even though it, as long as I'm able, I want to back them up because they are so dependent on this and they don't have any other, you know, anywhere else to go and nothing else to do. So, you know, I, you know, I try to write that check. I've written that check when we need it to write it, you know, and I'm glad I was able, uh, you know, I did not even want to do the sugar bar. Again, that was Nick. So I feel, and he he was smart enough to tell me a couple of times, you know, he was like, well, you know, you got the power. All you got to do is tell me to pull the plug and I pull the plug. And, you know, when somebody gives you that kind of power over the situation, then you don't pull the plug. He knew exactly what he was doing.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny, Val, I remember Nick talking about when we had 2020, even then he was thinking about doing something at, at your building there, but he wanted to call it Nothing But The Blues. Do you remember yeah. that?
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, so we had did... a Nothing But The Blues night that we continued to have on Tuesday night where we would just do uh, blues numbers. But uh, actually, I know that I have had more fun at the Sugar Bar than anyone. I have... Um, grown musically just by watching talent, encouraging talent, so, you know, it's funny how things work out, even though I wasn't in favor of it. It was good that we had that, not knowing that he was going to pass. But that was a project that he got to do entirely by himself. Valerie had nothing to say about it. Valerie didn't put her money in. He put all his money in. You know, I had to be mindful because well, we're not joined at the hip. We look that way, but we're not. So this is his baby. And he got to decorate it, and use all the African art and everything. He spent more money in there. I didn't need to know how much, but, you know, he did everything his heart desired. And the place turned out great. So, therefore, uh, he envisioned a dream and he lived it out. And then when dream was such a good one that I had a good time in it, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, it's it's uh, a, a Thing I like to to sometimes remind myself is the the saying, "How can we miss you if you don't go away?" And you know, we've not been able to get out in public and socialize in yeah. restaurants and bars and and clubs and what have you. And when you think of a place like the Sugar Bar that has the kind of entertainment that you have and has the the pedigree of you there and and the the type of people that'll be attracted to it because it's a Valerie Simpson place, that environment is just so special, the ability to uh, the opportunity to get out and hear music, have great food, have drinks around friends, right? It's, it's something that we just kind of took for granted as New Yorkers, especially where you walk down the street and there's 10 places before you get to the corner. But then there's that one special spot that just really resonates and and it's saying, I think the sugar bar has really kind of grown up to be that spot. Would you agree?
1: I definitely agree, you know, uh, and aside from the young talent, people like uh, like Quincy, when he comes to town, he always comes through and he stays until we have to put him out, you know, right. it, because he's having such a good time. You know, Maya Angelou, when she was alive, she called it, you know, her joint and she would pull her big bus up after a, a gig and walk through, you know, uh, uh, Coretta, I have a picture of Coretta Scott King and Maya Angelou with martini glasses, with hands raised talking in the sugar bar. You know, there's so many wonderful memories and people because everybody wants to wind down sometime. And the busy you are and the more important you are, the more difficult it is for you to find that spot where you can be you. And so I think we provided that through the years, you know. Um, Cicely Tyson would come. I gave a party for her when she got the Oscar and uh, B. Michael, her, the gentleman who makes all her clothes, who's a close friend of mine and her nearest, dearest friend. We gave this party for Sicily in honor of her Oscar. It was just real. Everybody wanted to hold an Oscar. They'd never held an Oscar before, you know, things like that. When those things happen, you know, it just reminds me that Nick had a good idea because mm-hmm. people do have to come together and they want to be comfortable and uh, I don't know, I probably would live a very sheltered life if I hadn't had that place to go to. You know, where would I go?
0: <laughs> yeah, those are, those are magic moments. There's no question about that. And, and you know, they just stay etched in your mind. And I have, I have mm. a lot of those. And I have to thank you and Nick, you know, for, for some of the more, more meaningful ones. Do you do you when you think about the the restaurant industry and what we've gone through and seen this last year and we're all. Trying to be safe and wear masks and socially distance, but when you think about a crowded restaurant and a crowded bar, do you think restaurants are going to come back like that? Do you think folks are going to be apprehensive about being in crowded spaces or what's your what's your thought about that?
1: Well, I think it's going to take some time before it's going to take some time before I want to be crowded. I want people to crowd. Uh, I think we'll look at things differently. You know, uh, thank God these vaccines, you know, they can get them up to get everybody you know, vaccinated and everybody feels safer. That'll help a great deal. But and also, you know, what's actually the best thing that came out? It was the outdoor space that we have now been allowed, which I'm told we're going to be able to keep because, you know, I built a structure outside, you know, with heat in it now and, you know, And it's a night, it gives you a European flavor, Mm -hmm. a feeling, you know, some people, you know, and and right now, even though the temperature will go down to 25 or 30 degrees, they be sitting out there with, you know, with a shawl around, you know, Mm -hmm. and the heater on and still enjoying themselves. So, you know, I'm glad about that. Mm -hmm. Now uh, we'll be able to start indoor dining 25% in about two weeks but i'm wondering you know 25% you know, as you well know is not going to really do very much but it'll help mm-hmm. but i say safety is above all else i would never want to be responsible for anything that caused anybody illness mm-hmm. so you know i'm hoping that maybe it'll go up to 50% you know in a minute you know but the future's hard to see but people will always be looking for a drink and something to eat and uh so i'm hoping we'll come back around
0: yeah i I hope so too Val, and and i i agree with you um given what we all witnessed this last year i mean there's just so much that went on and uh from the pandemic to the protests and the election the politics and can't stop watching the news i mean it was just all consuming and and just a lot to take in yeah given that are you optimistic how do you how you feel these days
1: I figure this is a period that hopefully we will never experience again. I mean, if this was a script, it would have got turned down because it's it's too way out there that the whole world would be affected and quarantined at the same time. It's like, what did you do with your time? What are we doing with this time that will never come again? What are we exploring that we have an opportunity that we have never had before? How have you found listen to yourself in a way that you never listened before because you were too busy. So there's a lot of good things that have come out of this. Uh, People are learning things that they had, they didn't think they had time for, but you did. Now you do. So I have found myself, you know, exploring things. I, after 35 years, I redid my kitchen. You know, I said, well, I deserve that. Let me, you know, this is where I spend most of my time. My friends come here. I got a whole house here. Everybody ends up in the kitchen. I said, after 35 years, let me do something out there that'll bring us together in a more pleasing and pleasant way. Um, So I think out of everything, you got to find the upside to everything. There is an upside in the midst of all the tragedy, all the trouble. And if you're not, if you didn't pass away, if you woke up and you're still alive, then I think you owe it to yourself to try to. Find some joy, you know, call somebody that, you know, is by themselves, uh, reach out to somebody, you know. So I'm doing more of that.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Val. That That's beautiful. And that that's inspirational. And of course, it's an easy connection to, you know, make to the music that you've made and the songs and the lyrics that you've written. Reach out and touch it just it continues to resonate and the type of songs like, like what Bill Withers would write a lean on me and it, the, mm. the stuff that just stays with you. And, and you, you, you pull it up when you need it. And we've needed the the music that you've created through the years, but even more so these days. So I'm just, uh, I think I'll speak for a lot of folks. We're grateful to Valerie yeah. Simpson for having provided, you know, just all of that love and, and inspiration and, and you give us strength in your words, Val and your beauty and, And I know you personally, and you're just a beautiful soul. So I'm very grateful that you agreed to come on today and thankful that uh, you you spent some time. And I promise you, I'm coming to see you at the Sugar Bar as soon as travel is safe.
1: I'll be looking for you. Hey, Val. Yeah.
0: Since you're at the piano, would you mind playing a little something before we let you go?
1: Oh, Brad, I can't believe you. I mean, it took you this long to figure out that I'm in front of a piano. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've
0: been holding back. I, I, was, I was tempted all along, but I was holding back, and I got my courage up, so I asked.
1: For you, I cannot turn you down. Oh. You know, because we go back so far. And when I think of folks that have come in and out of my life... I think of you, because
2: you've called me when you needed me, and I've called you when I needed you. So if you need me again, call me, no matter where you are. You can call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. On that you can depend and there don't you know that there ain't no mountain. Ha trouble, I'll be there on the double, Send for me, yeah, 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 my love is alive, way down in my heart, though we are miles apart, if you ever need a helping hand, I'm there, I'm there, fast as I can, you know that there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low.
0: To keep me from getting wow. wow, a private concert with <laughs> Valerie Simpson and I don't have the words after those lyrics, that voice and that playing. Uh-oh. Val, thank you. We are here with Ambassador Shabazz, how we move around the world and back. What's happening Ambassador
3: <laughs> well, what I want to talk about is some of the um some health tips and practices based on conversations many people are having, and you know at the end of every year following Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know people are always approaching the new year um speaking about you know bold commitments and how to start a new including dice, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and life regiment's promises mm-hmm. kept and broken, start again, start again, mm-hmm. start again. Um, and now after a whole year shutdown, you know, that's the, the inconsistent diets and meals. So it's not just about eating too much or let, it's just what it's the imbalance, you know, and disrupted companionships and being sedentary and with all kinds of symptoms and restlessness and various conditions that arise as a result, morale, you know, um, but at the same time, there's this list of questions i get you know based on the antsiness to for people to reboot and um one practice uh people are exploring is about cleansing so the discussion of gut health uh new terminology now but it has always been kind of like an ancient practice you know the um people don't realize that the 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 stomach or the gut is less about the cosmetic belly. It's really about the intestinal, the the internal well-being of the colon. And as I shared with you, I, I just wish more people would, for instance, go online and bring down, you know, diagrams of holistic colon health, for instance, and go under image and you'll see that the intestinal colon has a mind of its own. It's like a second brain for your system. You know, so, so often we're just on the outside in, assessing, you know, small symptoms, but not realizing we can actually manage that. And this past year, you couldn't really go to the doctor. So you if you didn't have a sense of what was causing a pain or what would reduce an ache, in my case it's sinus or asthma, even a little bit of aging arthritis, but I do know the herbs that matter. I do know the water intake um, that really, um, you know, makes a difference. Did you find yourself questioning any aspect of your own, like, well-being or health? or?
0: But yeah. And, you know, the, this, the subject of gut health is really becoming one that uh, I think is getting more and more attention. You know, it's kind of a refined approach to you are what you eat. And uh, doctors are now starting to take a look at um, what specific diets are good for an individual based on their blood type? Um, what your what your body can process, what it doesn't process. And tailoring programs specifically to the needs that your body has. Your body is different than mine. So what might be good for me might not be good for you. But I, I definitely see this as an evolving place of interest for those of us that are concerned with what we eat. Vegan's not necessarily good for everyone. Vegetarian's right. not even That's necessarily clear. good for everyone. It really comes down to an individual basis. So, so th- this is what you're, you're seeing in some of your, um,
3: Yeah. And, you know, this last year we were having a lot of packaged foods. It may have been good or healthy or fresh, but then being preserved, you know, because we had to get food and, and keep food. And so now we're, our body is absorbing a lot of salt without enough cleansing or rinsing of that. You know, one of the things I've also started to encourage people about if they have good medical, but you can actually find the at home kits that, um, discern your food allergy, your food sensitivity and your food intolerance. And they have different levels and you can go online and, and study those. I think Everly Well is one of those that will break it down for you. So I eat well, but. I don't know if I'm gluten intolerant, you know, and I like good bread or good pasta, but that hasn't been one of the things I've had to figure out. But this last year, when there's a bit of a a knuckle ache or something, but then for me, I know that there are this turmeric. There's cinnamon. There are there's nutmeg. All of those things that affect or ease or release the inflammation in a body, right? So you can actually go online and find some of these things. And you know we can direct people to uh, postandbeamhospitality.com and actually put some of those links um, on the site um, for the corner table talk mailing list. And I would love to be able to do that so that people really are. Responsible for their own engine. This year we actually had to do that. So it wasn't just getting to the doctor for a COVID test. It said, what did you do to maintain your wellness without being able to go to a doctor's, you know, um, office? And I just know for me, I'm famous for not only taking these things, but also prescribing them. As Soon as someone says to me, you know, I'm feeling this, I then go into that mode, you know, what is your pre- existing condition? Cause I don't want to inflame anything. I'm not a doctor, but the whole homeopathic components, the things that are in our cabinets, the seasonings that are there. Um, The garlic is like nature's penicillin. And really, if you go online and and really download those holistic colon health maps, it'll talk about, it'll list fully the areas of your body that are impacted. So if you haven't cleansed and you find yourself neck ache, joint, sluggishness, fatigue, it might be that and not thinking about it from a cosmetic or fitness or uh, aesthetic perspective, usually that we're thinking the vanity from the outside and we have to think about the wellness from the inside because that
0: will help us. I shared with you, I uh, discovered a doctor uh, in Florida here, an African-American gentleman whose, his name is Dr. Lionel King. And he specializes in gut health because his he he was a medical doctor he is a medical doctor, but turned to gut health because his mom suffered from diabetes and high blood pressure and all these things, and was taking an abundance right. of traditional medications prescribed. But he thought that he wanted to take a deeper look into digestive health and has started a, a clinic and, and, a, and a business model here in Florida that um, basically is dealing with the, the issues of gut health. And I, and I just think that it's going to be uh, a conversation that's going to get a lot of attention uh, in the coming months and years. The chart that you sent me, that, that the diagram yeah. of the intestines and what one area affects. And it's, it's like the foot. It's where the, the nerve endings Or you just never think of, you know, each section of your gut, uh, you know, is affected by uh, or or has an effect on some other part of your body.
3: Well, and if you start to learn your body from that perspective, you topically can start to release. You can massage it. You can move it. You can caress it and see if there's something that lets up or shifts or changes. You know, um, when I was in my 20s. Uh, My mother's the one that introduced me to a colonic. I thought she was crazy. (laughs) So what what the heck is this? But then suddenly I just learned so much when I saw the map and it impacted. And then I used to go to a fasting retreat in the um, liquid fasting retreat in the south of Spain. And that's what they did for two weeks. They really just moved all of those things and balanced your equilibrium from the inside out.
0: Yeah, very cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're going to be looking for some wellness items and we'll, we'll post a few things on our, on our website, post and beam uh, and hopefully point some folks and our listeners into some places that uh, could be beneficial. So thank I you very much. Stay warm. Thank you for listening. Corner table talk and hope you join us again next week. Corner table talk is hosted by Brad Johnson produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Coordinating producer, Lauren Turner. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Calb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a Say It Loud Network production.